Welcome listeners. Welcome listeners. You're listening to the Deeds in the Desert. The place where real estate investors tune in for the latest news and available investments at Ignite Funding. If you're on the hunt for a low effort, passive income stream, then turn up that volume and pull out the hammock as we get ready to feed you your weekly dose of real estate investing insights. Welcome back to another episode of Deeds in the Desert. Today, we have Carrie Cook, president of Ignite Funding, and Pat Vassar, director of underwriting, coming on the show to discuss the notice of default process. So this first episode is really going to go over what happens before a notice of default is filed, and they're going to discuss the initial steps and how Ignite Funding handles defaults. So... Carrie and Pat, welcome. Well, Carrie, you know, we get a lot of questions all across different topics of real estate, whether it's what we do specifically with hard money lending or just in generalities of where markets are going and, and how real estate will perform in those markets. One of the questions we've been receiving quite a bit lately in regards to potential defaults, they want to know when do we know about defaults? How do we resolve them? Why are we best suited for that? So I just want to dive into that a little bit more, get a little bit more understanding to our investors as to how we handle those sort of things. So to get us kind of kicked off here and a jumping off point of how do we know what is a default? When does it start? How do we find out about it? What's that initial step? Yeah, defaults defaults can be scary, but they don't always have to be. So I'm going to, I'm going to start with what is a technical default. Let's start there because I think before, in, in some cases, before we end up in a situation where we're in a default, um, you know, there are some behind the scenes conversations that are occurring with the borrowers for, for specific projects and all everything that's kind of rumbling out there um, through communication, through markets, through, you know, maybe they just pick the wrong models to build. <laughs> I mean, who knows, right. right? It runs the gamut. But from a, let, let's talk, let's talk the regulatory side of things first. Okay. So from a regulatory perspective, the word technical default means two things. One, that the borrower needs more time to complete the project. And in those instances, we will send a communication out to our investors to request a forbearance agreement. And forbearance agreements, um, when they initially get sent to an investor, they're like, what is this? Why, why am I getting this? What, you know, is there something wrong? You know, it doesn't always mean there's something wrong. When a borrower is asking for a forbearance agreement for additional time, it doesn't mean they're not making their interest payments. So let's just put that out there. There, there is forbearances that are intended to be for very good reason. It doesn't make sense for a borrower to rewrite a loan because a home buyer's financing didn't come through and it's going to take an additional 30 days. That would be ridiculous for us to put a borrower through that process of additional cost when in 30 days our investors are not harmed in any way the value of the property has not been harmed in any way. Actually, it's increased. Mm -hmm. um, and the borrower is still making interest payments. So that would be a technical default due to the duration of time. Is that the primary way a technical default comes into fruition for us? 
Yeah, I mean, for the for the most part, uh, technical defaults. I would say the majority of our technical defaults are in the the forbearance arena. And and again, I gave you an example of you know a home buyer's financing not coming through. And I think with interest rates increasing, could we see more of that? Potentially, we sure. could. Right? It doesn't mean it's going to happen every time, but it could happen. I would say ninety eight percent of our forbearance agreements have zero issues. And I say 98% because, you know, nothing's 100% out there, right? <laughs> and we do have a 3%, you know, default rate based on our entire portfolio that you have underwritten. And so I've got to leave some wiggle room in there. And maybe I should have called that 97%. <laughs> but nevertheless, it's a very, very, very small percentage of forbearances that go into what I will call a notice of default. So let's talk about the second aspect of that. One is time. The other is the inherent risk that we talk about from the very get-go of uh, investing with Ignite Funding, and that is that the borrower doesn't make their interest payment, mm-hmm. right? And in that regard, um, you know, now now we have Houston, there's a problem, right? And sometimes you and I, because we're visiting these properties on a regular basis, there are times where I think you would agree with me, we have inklings that there could be a potential Absolutely. problem. Sure. You know what? Why don't you? I'm turn this on you for just a second. Give me an example of you know the travels uh, that that we do and why why we go out and visit these properties. Why you knock on my door and say, Carrie, it's time to go to Utah. Carrie, it's time to you know visit all our Nevada properties. Well. The main reason is, you know, our investors uh, kind of expect that out of us. We expect it out of ourselves. We are not a, a broker by trade. We are a one-stop shop that is involved from the underwriting, the servicing, and the payoffs all the way through the entire life cycle of the project. One of the most, uh, or I should say, one of the least understood aspects of that is the servicing component. It isn't just sitting in the back and waiting for interest payments to get to come in, it's about being proactive to ensuring interest payments come in. One of the ways to do that is to go out and view the properties. We do it usually on about a quarterly basis or so. Um, and because we are operating in a few different states, we'll go out and hit all the projects in one state at any given time. So it becomes a fairly lengthy travel schedule, but we get through it. Uh, it really enables both of us to look at where the borrowers are at and what issues may arise, both with the project specifically or neighboring properties or the entire market, that micro market in which they're operating. So it gives us a better understanding of the difficult, the difficulties or some of the positive attributes that are associated with uh, that particular transaction. So we're not getting that from Google Earth? No. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of people think sometimes, you know, when we have properties in 12, 13 different states, you know, is it humanly possible for us to underwrite and service these loans and actually keep track of everything that's going on? And, you know, we're here today to say, yes, we are and we do. We've got this Southwest credits to prove it. (laughs) That's for sure. So yeah, we we do visit these properties. And, you know, I know our borrowers are probably listening and we may give away a few little secrets here um, to those borrowers. But one of the things that, that we do is, you know, it's not only the analytics involved in, you know, underwriting these loans. There's some psychology there as well. And, um, you know, Pat and I have worked together for 
a long time, long enough that I am sitting across from Pat Vassar and he has a few less hairs than he started with. Many less hairs. Many less hairs. That's what 14 okay. years with you will do. Yeah, I'm telling you. Um, I, I'm I'm a demanding creature by nature. Mm -hmm. um, I have very high expectations of my staff and the investments that we put out there. And I'm risk adverse. I, I'm very risk adverse. And there's, there's two elements um, to underwriting that I think most people don't understand. Pat very, very, very well understands the analytics side and ripping those uh, properties apart and making sure that there is uh, intrinsic value remaining in those properties when we're lending a certain amount. But then there's the psychology side of it. It's, you know, the borrowing entity. And I know we talk about being an asset lender, but, you know, we have no desire, <laughs> Pat or I, to take back properties through default. And so ultimately, we do need to make sure that the strength of the borrower does exist. And um, as we onboard new borrowers and with existing borrowers, there is some psychology in there. It is visiting that borrower. It is seeing their location. It's understanding where they reside out of, who they work with the talent of their team, what their office looks like. I mean, is it a, is it a freaking mess when you walk in and there's papers piled high and they look completely unorganized? Are they growing too fast? Are they growing too slow? Like all of those things need to be evaluated. And that's where I kind of think my skill set steps in to this scenario. And so one of the things that we do when we're out on the road, now our borrowers are going to figure this out, is we actually visit all of the properties before we do a little drop in on our borrowers. And we do that because we want to know exactly what we're working with and who we're working with. And if what they're telling you on the phone in between the months of our visits is actually happening. And so one of the things that we do and the preemptive of knowing that there might, Houston, there might be a problem is, you know, when we are visiting some of these properties and our expectation is that there is movement. And when we see little movement or lack of movement, um, it gives us an opportunity during those visits to kind of call them out on it. So why would there be a slow down in movement, Pat? Oh, man, uh, there's a million different reasons. The primary issue that we run into, or more specifically, our borrowers run into, are delays with the city. Um, our interest rates are high, as our investors know. And because of that, it makes any delays in the project uh, hurt the bottom line. And when things hurt the bottom line, the profitability suffers. And when that happens, it becomes a riskier investment. So all delays that we can take out of a project, the better. And when there's a third party involved, we can't predict always accurately as to when those delays or lack thereof will come into play. So when you're dealing with the city, uh, we have a good idea of when permits will come in, for example, but we don't know exactly when that'll happen. And because of that, there is that risk factor. So primarily, it comes in the form of delays as to why borrowers wouldn't get started on time, delays with the city, delays with the engineers, delays with a third party. Rarely is it due specifically to the borrower, but mm -hmm. usually to, to a third party. And, and what you were kind of describing previously, um, the, the, the difference between the the science behind it mm -hmm. and the you know other component of, of evaluating the individuals themselves, you know, it, it can really kind of go down into two buckets, like you described. I always think of it in art versus science. Real estate isn't all art, and it mm -hmm. isn't all science. If it were, 
all two bedroom, two bath condos would be the exact same, right? There's no difference. It's two bedroom, two bath, yeah, 1,000 square price, feet. Same price. Same everything. Why change? Why change mm-hmm. it? But there's the art to it. Well, how does it feel? How does it lay out? Where is it located? What does it look like? And so there are two diametrically opposed aspects of real estate. One that I'm, I, my skill set falls in and one that your skill set falls in, which is the reason, you know, we work well together. Do you remember the one time we were um, visiting a property and it was moving really slow? You just talked about art and science. And this is, I know you're going to know what property I'm talking about. We're not going to name names today. We're not going to name names. But um, we visited the property. It was snowing. It was a snow trip. I'm pretty sure it was a scary snow trip. And we got out of the car. And I was like, gosh, why isn't this moving? It seems seems kind of slow. And you and I looked at each other and we're like, hmm, Houston, we might have a problem. I remember opening up the car door and sweeping the snow away to see if they actually had put the bricks down that they said they put down. Remember this? Do you remember? You know what I'm talking about, don't I you? I do. Yep. And it is a current borrower. It is a current borrower. So we'll let that little secret out of the hat. But there was a problem with the project. There was a fundamental problem with the project. You just described it. And that project ended up forbearing quite some time, Mm -hmm. quite some time. And it got to the point where our investors started to become a little skeptical as to why is this taking so long? Will you run me through the steps of what happened with that project and how the borrower rectified it? Well, uh, I'll give you kind of the the short shortened version of it because it went through a few different iterations to from when we underwrote the deal to when it was finally paid off. When we underwrote it, it was going to be a mixed use project, some single family detached home, some attached product, even a little bit of commercial upfront. Well, this home builder wasn't uh, an expert on the commercial side, so they were going to sell off the commercial pads and focus on the residential. Great. That sounded perfect. It was perfect in the initial underwriting, and we gave them the loan. Uh, they went out, built a few models, started having some sales. Then things started slowing down. You know, when you first open up a new home community, everything kind of works on a bell curve. So it starts slow for two or three months, picks up tremendously, and you're usually selling about three times the amount of units per month as you did initially, and then it wanes off as you start to sell out of the community. And things weren't just performing on that bell curve. It it started out stagnant and stayed stagnant. Instead of that three-month bump, it was a nine-month lull. So we were trying to figure out exactly what that was. Uh, We went out there during that time, I think two, maybe even three different times during that nine-month period, and didn't see the robust sales, robust activity as you would expect in a home community. Talk to the borrowers about that. They obviously had felt it as well. So they had changed their marketing platform as to the type of buyer they're going going after. That step up buyer, the the higher end, wasn't purchasing at the time. So they revamped their models, or excuse me, revamped their product line and made them a little bit smaller, not quite as nice. In essence, lowering the price point, which helped a lot. So then that kind of reset things. And then they had another big jump when they relaunched that community and things were going well for a couple months and it started stagnating again. And the reason behind that 
that time is the attached product just wasn't selling. It was all the detached. And so they went back and tried to retool the the product line. Uh, Didn't quite work out again. And so they went back to the city, got the attached products rezoned and allowed for uh, detached, single family detached homes to be put in there. They lost a few different lots in doing that because now you need some side yards and backyards and whatnot. But in the grand scheme of things, added additional value in doing so. So those were some of the delays associated with it. Um, in this case, it wasn't delays with a third party. It was purely that art mm-hmm. part mm-hmm. of it. You know, their art, which was a mixed use facility with a step up buyer, the market just didn't want it. It just wasn't it wasn't resonating with buying individuals. So they had to reassess and re, retool, revamp the product line and relaunch. And so those delays were caused by them mm-hmm. and because they're artists, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, didn't perform quite well. That was one prime example. Um, and I know exactly what you're talking about of which <laughs> one it was. Uh, but at the end, what happened, Gary? Well, at the end of the day, what happened was investors continued to receive a forbearance agreement to extend. And they never knew anything that we just talked about, because that's what we do during the loan servicing process, is we sit and negotiate and work and talk to the borrower and figure out what's going on. If we hadn't visited that property and poked and prodded, right, and and pushed them Mm -hmm. to like, let's get this done, let's get this done, you know, our investors wouldn't have reaped the benefits of that, which was receiving an interest for an extended period of time that didn't go down. They received their interest like clockwork. They received their capital back like clockwork. And that's just part of what we do. But that could have very easily had a different outcome. Absolutely. And we do have situations where we have a different outcome. Mm-hmm. So let's turn to some of those situations for just a second, because I, I think we've maybe, um, we gave one example. We have tens to twenties of examples of that exact same, what you're talking about right now, where, you know, that's just our job. That's just what we do on a daily basis. If we identify an issue while we're out and about, we address it with the borrowers immediately. There is no, you know, we don't tiptoe around it by any stretch of the imagination. You know, when we do those visits with our borrowers every year without fail, Without fail, every single year, we have one-on-one conversations with our borrowers. Uh, Whether that's happening here at Ignite Funding or there, we like to go there because it, again, gives us kind of a bird's eye view of what's going on with their operation. I don't want to say we can call it, but uh, when you go to somebody's operation and it's changed drastically, staff is missing, (laughs) uh, the piles have disappeared, they're down to two people, we're not seeing the progress that we're expecting, we pretty much know what's coming. Um, and at that point, we start evaluating internally, you know, what we're going to do in in relation to taking back these assets. And there is so much behind the scenes that we do not have the opportunity to talk to investors about. So this podcast is really giving us an opportunity to give you a little bit more insight into that. So let, let's move on. Let's move on a little bit here. Let's say we have an issue. We've talked about the forbearances and you know what's happening there and how those don't turn into defaults, but we work through them. So let's talk about us having an, an actual um, issue with a, a project that the borrower has not made their interest payment. So every borrower has until the 10th of the month to make their interest payment for the prior month, mm-hmm. okay? On the 10th of the month, from the first to the 10th of the month, 
Pat, give me an idea <laughs> of how many times you communicate with the accounting department as to what has been received and what has not been received. Every single day. <laughs> there, I don't think there is a day that goes by, and in, in many cases, even over a weekend, as to when I'm not in communication with our accounting department as to wires, checks, or any sort of deposits that we receive from the borrowers. Obviously, one of the most, if not the most critical part of our investment is that monthly cash flow. Mm -hmm. That monthly cash flow comes in the form of interest, which like you said, is due on the first of the month with a 10 day grace period. So technically not in default until the 10th of the month, we want to ensure those payments get in. There's a million different reasons as to why borrowers say the payment didn't come in. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's a binary scenario for us. Mm -hmm. Did it come in or did it not come in? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. So. Quick, I'm just going to deviate for just a second, tell a funny story. So my son is is 16 years old, and uh, he works at a, at a bike shop here in Boulder City. And his friends asked him one day, uh, what does your mom do for a living? Because they know dad's a stay-at-home dad, so mom, mom's got to have a decent job, right? So my son says to them, she's a loan shark. <laughs> 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 and I thought, I am a loan shark when it comes to a borrower not making their payments. That, son, I will agree with you. That's when it gets serious because our investors depend on us to make sure that that passive income is there for them. That's our role. And we mm -hmm. take it very, very seriously here. So here's where the loan shark comes out. Between the 10th and the 15th. That is really when not every time we can visually see that we have an issue. So if we can't visually see it and try to correct it before it becomes an issue, um, the 10th and the 15th is when we know that we have a potential financial issue with borrowers. It may have nothing to do with the asset or the deteriorating value of an asset, but it may have to do with their financial condition, which as you know, our borrowers are private companies. Mm -hmm. They are not public. And therefore, although we request to see access to their financials, in many cases, they are not audited. And so it really depends on our assessment, the art and the science, of figuring out if they are able to maintain the loads of what we are lending to them as far as interest payments every month. So when it doesn't come in, we do allow ourselves a five-day grace period here at Ignite Funding between the 10th and the 15th to evaluate the situation with the borrower as quickly as we possibly can, assess the situation, in some cases flying to the properties during those five days, but most definitely having intimate conversations with the borrower as to what's happening and trying to come to the best conclusion we can in a very, very limited amount of time. And by the 15th, I have set a requirement of my staff that there is either a interest payment made or a communication to the investor to make them aware that we do have a borrower that has not made their interest payment. So Pat, let's talk about that five-day period because it does come up from time to time. Uh, sometimes it's a, it's a bump in the road. Sometimes it's, you know, the check got lost in the mail, the mm -hmm. dog ate the homework, right? right? Sometimes it's that. But when it is not that, 
kind of walk me through what is going on between you and the borrower as it pertains to um, some insider conversation? It's check and verify time. It's understanding what they uh, deemed the problem to be, and we need to go out and verify if those excuses or those reasons are valid. If they say it got lost in the mail, all right, show me the FedEx number, that tracking number it came from. We can see that you sent a, a shipment to us. Okay, it's probably the check. You sent it on the 8th, and it's been sent on the 8th for the past six months. We pretty, have a pretty good understanding of what it's going to be. Um, if we can't verify what they're saying, that trust factor obviously diminishes, and we need to come in with different strategies of how to move forward. Well, that's where I come in. So the next thing we need to do is put together communication. And I think what investors expect of us is that within that five-day period, which, by the way, sometimes includes weekends, so sometimes it could be a two-day period, mm -hmm. <laughs> we are quickly trying to analyze what is the best approach to take. And what I have found is the best approach to take is get permission to act. Permission from whom? Permission from the investors. Because at Ignite Funding, we require that 51% of the loan balance provide us with direction to move forward. That initial communication in direction really has two options. The first option is to allow us more time and do nothing, right? Just trust in this loan servicing uh, of Ignite Funding that they are going to work this out. And the second option is to proceed with filing a notice of default. And proceeding with filing a notice of default or doing nothing is somewhat articulated in our communication to you. If we feel that there is a justifiable reason to give more time, we will tell you about it. And the reason why we will ask for that and not to file a notice of default is because we have been able to evaluate and do the checks and balances that Pat just talked about. And if we have been able to evaluate that and do the checks and balances and have a very high degree of, um, we really do just have a blip and this is not going to be a foregoing issue, then we will come to you. We will ask you guys to give them, just give them 30 days. But if not, we will push in our communication to say we feel it is in the best interest of investors to move forward with a notice of default. When we say that to you, what that means as the loan servicer is that's you giving us permission that when the time is right, act. All right. So speaking of the right time to file an NOD, this today was our first part of a four-part series on notice of default. Next week, we're going to have part two, and we're going to dive deeper into the right time to file a notice of default. And Pat and Carrie are going to go over a couple different scenarios in that process. And then part three is the notice of default to foreclosure process. And then part four after that is going to be the foreclosure to disposition process. So make sure you stay tuned for all of our upcoming episodes as we kind of walk you through the default process. We'll see you again next week on Deeds in the Desert. 
Thanks for joining us this week on Deeds in the Desert, where short-term investments meet long-term investors. We hope you enjoyed the content so much that you share it with all your friends. Who doesn't like learning about passive fixed income, right? Still hungry for more education? Visit our website at ignitefunding.com. Or if you're ready to take the leap and start investing, give us a call at 702-761-0000 and schedule a free investor consultation. 